In today's show, we're talking LA Clippers, a season preview. Looking forward to talking about this team, I think. Maybe. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd. I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore beeble, on TikTok at redrock underscore beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter the promo code locked on for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You don't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're going to bring in the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Darian Vaziri. We're going to talk about the Clippers. So we might as well get straight into it right now. All right. Bringing back in Darian Vaziri. Now, last time when we did this last year, it was your first ever appearance, I think, as a member of or as the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast. We're one year in and you're back again for another run at it. Yeah, that was my that was my locked on debut. It was so. Uh, it feels good. It feels it's like it's flown by in a way. And I've been doing this for a year now, but it feels good to hit that one year mark. And uh, hopefully, I can one day, God willing, achieve the great Josh Lloyd status on locked on. <laughs> I don't think you want to have done four thousand shows like us where I'm where I'm approaching this season. That's a lot of shows, a lot of talking. Wow. Hopefully, hopefully you're able to do something else with your life than just talking to a microphone for that long. Um, but hey. <laughs> You've, you're here You're here for a year. You're here for your second go around at coming on and talking about the Clippers on my show. So let's do it. Let's talk about the changes to this roster over the offseason. There's not a huge amount. KJ Martin comes in. They draft Kobe Brown and Jordan Miller, who they just signed to a two-way deal. Eric Gordon is gone, and Xavier Moon was on the roster at the end of last season. Played well in Summer League, but he hasn't been re-signed at this point. The big, I guess, query or... Um, Criticism of the Clippers in the offseason was giving up that first-round pick and Luke Kennard for Eric Gordon just to waive him to save money when the Clippers, we thought the Clippers had unlimited budget, but apparently they don't. So how has that been received in what was literally just a cost-cutting move? Oh, it has not been received well at all by the fan base. Um, very disappointed that we lost Luke Kennard. At the time, I saw what they were doing. They wanted to go all in. They really wanted to go all in and felt Eric Gordon was going to be better for what the Clippers needed last season. That was, if they're going to go small with multiple guards out there at once, have a bigger guard that can go, stand a chance against the likes of a Devin Booker or, you know, just like t- real, oh, you know, six five or over wings. And Eric Gordon, because of his strength, he stands a chance, even though he's not necessarily a good defender. And also the ability to attack closeouts and get to the rim and finish through contact. Luke Kennard, he's not really that. He's a fantastic three-point shooter, just a fantastic shooter in general, amazing off the ball. But when you run him off the line and make him put the ball on the floor, he is not who Eric Gordon is even now and obviously not who Eric Gordon was in his great days. But it definitely didn't end up being a good move because we didn't do anything. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both got hurt. And we lost the chance at potentially getting Cam Whitmore. So – yeah. Yeah, that was it. Didn't uh, 
go over well with the fan base in the end. I think getting KJ Martin is a pretty good move, though. Like, it's not the same sort of player, but with the aging players that they were running through the power forward spot, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Robert Covington, who are all, I believe, 34 at least. Let's have a look. Morris is about to turn 34. Batum is 34. Oh, Covington's 33. There you go. So all older players are on the downside of their career. KJ Martin is still ridiculously young. Started a bit for the Rockets last season. I'm not sure whether he's you know, how much he's going to play or over those guys or whatever it is. But I think that's a good piece of business, getting him in there um, as an interesting player. But I think what people want to hear right now is Kobe Brown, who was an older player, again, drafted out of Missouri's 23-plus already, had a really strong summer league, shot the ball well in his senior season. The Clippers notoriously have not been a team that plays rookies really much at all. And there are some people who are like, man, just start Kobe Brown. That's not really a likelihood of happening, is it? No, because you said it best. Ty Lue, and even when we had Glenn Rivers, he, they don't like, I wouldn't say they don't like, but yeah, they're not big on young players, you know, especially because those teams that Ty and Glenn have coached have been teams with championship aspirations or deep playoff aspirations. So you don't usually see too many young players in those rotations, let alone the late first rounder kind of guys the Clippers have gone in the past decade or so. So Kobe Brown, I would like to see him play a little bit, but there's about 13 guys literally that I would think are going to average more minutes than him this season. So yeah, it's not very likely. Outside of the two-way guys, which at the moment is Jordan Miller and Musa Diabete, I don't really see who who he would play more than, honestly, because it's year three for BJ Boston and Mia Coffey is always useful to have around there. They're the two other end of roster guys. I, I yeah, I, I just, There's this fallacy that older players are more NBA ready and sometimes it's true. Sometimes they're not as good. That's why they stayed in college for five years. So they're not as ready to play in the NBA and they can never hang. So we'll see what that ends up being. But I think, again, people get enamored by summer league performance where he was clearly the best player on that team or best prospect on that team. So everything was able to go through him. He wasn't playing with a bunch of other lottery picks and that inflates some of the numbers. So I think a year or so of him in the G League, we'll see what ends up happening there. Let's, let's cover the big thing now, the injuries, because both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were absent from this team at the end of the season. Paul George had that knee buckle inwards at the end of the regular season. There was some thought that, oh, maybe he's back, which was always optimistic bullshit because that knee injury looked pretty significant and they were talking about him coming back. And then Kawhi had a meniscus injury, played through it, and in the end couldn't. Still looked awesome. What? Where are we at? Now, I've got no concerns about Paul George being ready for the beginning of the season, but Kawhi Leonard has always been a little bit slower in terms of surgery and recovery and rehab from knee injuries. Did he have the surgery? What's the timeline there for him to return? We don't hear anything about Kawhi Leonard No, that's injuries. true. But I saw something recently that Ty Lue said he sh- he's on schedule to be fine at training camp and, and all that, but... Knowing the Clippers medical staff and the way they've treated information on injuries, I don't really know what to believe at this point. Like, all I can do is hope, but I have nothing concrete to give you about that. Kawhi Leonard's injuries is like, we didn't, they said they called it a sprained knee. He tore his meniscus and we didn't know about it. So they did that with his ACL as well. Exactly. So I just don't know what to think. I thought he was going to be fine at the start of last season. I didn't think he was going to be, I thought it would be a minutes restriction, but. He had a minutes restriction. He was coming off the bench, and then he got a major setback. He was out for a month, and they listed him as day-to-day for like 10 games in a row. That doesn't make him look like like – that makes him look soft, if anything, like as if he day-to-day, oh, it's like a game-time decision kind of thing if he can play. If he's out for a month, he clearly got hurt again or like had a setback, but you're just not telling us. So I I, I have no information. 
there. The the Kawhi stuff was very weird last season. The the he played in the preseason and he played decent minutes and then opening night it's like actually he's coming off the bench and playing twenty minutes. It's like what? Like what happened? And then there was some sort of setback they never told us about. Then he came back and then I thought he hit, think he hurt his ankle after that. And then the second half yeah, of the season he played like thirty eight minutes a night and played back to backs and was dominating. And it was just like wow, what what happened here from the start of the season where they were so like. Uh, I, I, look, I don't, I don't know what it is, and we're never going to know because they never tell us anything. Was the team being cautious? And at the end, when we got to the second half of the season, quite said, "Look, enough of this bullshit. Like, I just, I'm just doing it. I'm just doing whatever I need to do here to go there." Was the team saying, "Don't worry about your caution. You're playing every game." I, I don't know what it is, but something clearly changed from this hyper cautious program to begin this season versus at the end, "Hey, let's just go hard and play as many minutes as I've seen Kawhi play almost ever." in a regular season as well towards the end of the season. Uh, he played, he played a lot of minutes, but th- he only played one back to back the whole season. And that was the last two games of the season against yep. Portland and Phoenix. Um, they, so when he came back against Charlotte in early December, made a game winner in that first game, he came back. That yep. was from the ankle that you mentioned yep. um, slowly, but surely there was a stretch where he was playing every game besides back to backs. And he was playing pretty decent, like star minutes, like, you know, 30 minutes, six, yeah. 30, yeah, and it just seemed like we were just getting him back to treating him like, you know, a star like every other team treat their stars. But there were still weird things that happened towards the end of the season. Like, I'll give you an example. There was a game we had against Memphis oh, yeah. in March, yep. and they pulled him out at halftime and said, you know what? He's Oh, my bad. He did play back-to-back in that one. But it's so hard for yeah. me to even consider that a back-to-back when you sit out a second half of a game that you're competing in, and they're like, all right, we're going to play the next day. We lost both games mm. like and, and Ty Lue had no idea that he was going to sit out at halftime. We don't. And that makes me very curious. If the medical staff is on the same team as Ty Lue, why wouldn't they tell him that the star player and the, the rest of the team that he's going to come out at halftime? That situation is very fishy to me. And I've still never heard a good explanation for it. Ty Lue was livid after the game. And I mean, that's not if the medical staff is on the same side as your head coach and you're not warning him that you're losing your star player for a second half of a game. That's like then what's going on in the organization. So there were still really cautious things with Kawhi. I just think the reason why you saw the increase was because he straight up was healthy and had a run where he wasn't hurt until the playoffs. He played in that second game of that back to back. He played 41 minutes as well. So he sat out the second half and then played the next night and played insane amount of minutes and there's been so many weird stories about either disconnect from Ty Lu early in the season and him like you know is he going to quit like what is he going to retire like what's going to happen then weird reports coming out about disharmony in the locker room there's just so much weird and you never know what to believe with it but there's always there is a bunch of fishy stuff that does go on we are I'm expecting Kawhi to be ready opening night I'm expecting again off another knee surgery to be in a situation where he's not playing back-to-backs at least early on in the season. But I think that will that will happen during the year. And I think one other misconception we do need to get out there is Paul George gets hurt. Like that, That's fine. Players get hurt. He hurt his hamstring. He hurt his knee. But Paul George is not a player who just routinely sits out back-to-backs. He set out the back-to-backs when he rehabbed from the hamstring injury. He pulled his hamstring, came back and set out a couple of back-to-backs straight after that. He's not on a continual diet of sitting out back-to-backs. The problem is... He just keeps getting hurt. And then on the rehab phase, coming back from that, you sit out a couple there. So I just wanted to make sure that people are aware of that because he is not in that situation where he just sits like Al Horford did last season, just sits one of every single back-to-back uh, moving forward. That's not what Paul George did, Darian. Yes. Paul George is 
he plays through pain a good amount, I'd mm -hmm. say. He came back too early from that hamstring injury as well, the first one, and re-injured it. And that's why he was out longer the second time because, once again, I'm going to harp on about it. NBA teams rush back players from hamstring injuries and almost every single time they re-injure it and then it causes long-term problems. I do not know why they don't just give them the three weeks off that they need the first time, but they bring it back in 10 days or six days or something and then they hurt it again. And then that's where we are. And yeah, it's it's really frustrating. We're going to talk um, projected starter lineup in a second. Today's episode, though, is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are the most comfortable shorts that you're going to find. They look like a khaki short on the outside, but inside they're stretchy and they're super comfortable and they actually make you look a little bit slimmer. It's like wearing those uh, sort of stretch shorts from a Lululemon, but way, way better. The fit is much nicer. And on the outside, it looks like you're wearing khaki shorts. So whatever you're doing, whether you're going to a bar or a restaurant, hanging out with mates, going to the shops, whatever it is you're doing, playing basketball even. These Bird Dogs shorts transform into whatever situation you need them to transform into. They also have anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that helps keep you cool and dry all day long. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, or you can enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, and you get a free white tech hat. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, or the promo code is LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you, I've got them on and I'm not taking them off. And I'm ta that is an absolute promise. All right. Let's uh, look at your projector starting five and it's a little different. Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Nico Batum, and Ivica Zubats. Last season, that was Marcus Morris just absolutely anchored into that starting lineup despite how badly he played the majority of the season. Ty Lu really did find it hard to go away from him, but I don't think you could make any argument that he should be or should have been starting even last season, and you've put Batum in there. We saw Morris start to lose a little bit of that, I don't know if the right term is organizational juice towards the end of last season, and then he came out and bitched and moaned in the offseason about his minutes and his role and all that sort of stuff. Brady's not that good anymore. But I think this is I think this is a, a lineup that makes sense. I would even look at honestly KJ Martin in that in that lineup. I would I would start Terrence Mann personally, and like I know Paul George and Kawhi are so scared of playing at the four, but that's probably your best lineup overall. But Batum's one of those guys that fits in, low usage, can shoot and can defend, and I think it does make a ton more sense to have him in there over Marcus Morris. Is this like we saw the direction of Marcus Morris at the end of last season? Is that just where you're going with this? The carryover from that? No, actually, I uh, agree with you. I you asked for my predicted starting five. Yes. So yep. I give you what I think Ty Lue is gonna do. Yep. Is yep. that. But my starting five is exactly what you said. I want Terrence Mann to start. And I want I said it on Lockdown Clippers tons of times. I want Terrence Mann to start with Westbrook. We have an athletic backcourt, two guys that are really strong. And if Westbrook's in the mood, we everybody can guard on that in that starting lineup. Everyone. Um, because the other ones you that you'll see them for the most part guard, especially on ball. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing the four and all that. I've heard that people are like hesitant about them playing the four, but I haven't heard any, anything from them specifically. Like I think Kawhi Leonard in today's game, like it's not like he's playing against Tim Duncan or like, you know, the huge fours that want to take advantage of size. Okay. Jaron Jackson, Giannis. I mean, I can't think of that many others that are like really going to, and first of all, even those guys like, Wait. Good luck posting Kawhi up. Like we'll see. Kawhi's the strongest, the almost the strongest player in the league, and Paul George six foot eleven. Like I think they can handle it. Yeah, Kawhi's really strong, and he's a great rebounder. And plus, we're talking about a guy that can be maybe like a secondary rim protector, you know, alongside Zubats on that low block, um, and help defense. And Marcus Morris could not get off the ground last year. We were playing him at that spot. Kawhi Leonard can actually be a secondary rim deterrent if he's around there. So 
I think it's great. And then you have Zubat starting. That would be my starting five. I went with this because Ty Lue is not as big on Terrence Mann as, as the rest of us. And I think that he will go with something more quote-unquote reliable. And I'm hoping Marcus Morris is off the team by the start of the season. And Nicholas Batum, nothing personal, but as you no, said, he's not that good anymore. No, he's not. And plus, if he is on the team, he might be in that starting lineup. Ty Lue is so close with him, he might do it. So Nico Batum is my choice. And then your rotation follows on with that because you don't have Marcus Morris in there, I guess, hoping he's out of there. But look, there are so many. We talked about this team in the depth last season. They're just as deep now. Bones Highland, Norm Power, Terrence Mann, KJ Martin, Mason Plumley. It's a really good five group there. And that doesn't include Marcus Morris. It doesn't include Robert Covington. It doesn't include you know, Amir Coffey, who started games for them at times. I think that's a really strong second group there. Bones um, obviously had his issues with Denver. And I think the arrival of Westbrook limits his overall upside on this team. But he's in year three, so maybe we see a jump forward there. I think I want to talk a little bit here about Norman Powell, who is always, he's 30 now. So again, a lot of these players are much older than you expect. He's always sort of in this role where you think he probably should be able to start and and, and play bigger minutes. And then he always seems to pull back and then someone gets hurt. Then he starts, then he gets hurt, then he's out of there. Like, is this uh, not necessarily a make or break type of year for Norman Powell on this team, but he's never really been able to establish himself consistently for long periods of time here. Well, I think this past season, actually, before he got hurt, we did establish something for him. And that was in the beginning of the season. We tried playing him as our starting shooting guard, yep. and it was terrible. He was literally playing so badly that I saw people on Twitter like wanting to trade him right then and there. I was like, okay, guys, it's only been a couple of games. And he made comments before the season that he wanted to be an all-star. He wanted to oh, solidify right. himself. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about that last time. Yeah. But and, and clearly, he wasn't – he was just kind of shot hunting way too much. And when he came off the bench, it allowed him to really embrace what he is as a player in this league. And that is a guy that can come in and give you instant points and do it consistently and get to the basket and get to the line. And he did that so well for us. He was one of the more consistent players on the team this season, so much so that I was getting in the locked on comment section. I had people saying he was better than Paul George at basketball. I was like, guys, you guys are going way too far now. But Norman Powell, he had a stretch where he was an instant 18 points every game, and we were pushing six-man-of-the-year propaganda. I remember he had an event, like – not an event, but at post-game, sometimes the Clippers do this thing called meet the player, and uh, sometimes uh, they get to you know basically talk to a certain group of season ticket holders or whatever, and people with season tickets will uh, say, hey, you want to come or whatever. And you know, I, I remember telling him, like, yo, you're going to win six-man-of-the-year, and th- there was a whole conversation about that. So then he hurts his shoulder, and – he didn't really find his form till late in the season and in the playoffs, he was fine, especially in game three against the Suns. But Norm, I think he is, especially in the, in the context of fantasy, he's an instant 17 points per game. I, I, I promise you. And I think he'll still be that this season, truly. Yeah, he's going to be really high usage. He shot the ball 40% from three again. And the problem is, is the lack of gigantic minutes and the lack of other peripheral stats. But when someone gets hurt, he, he does tend to step, to step up. Um, in terms of, what was I going to say? Oh, here we go. Let's talk about the young players in this team. Because they do have four players under the age of 23, which is where we're cutting off here. KJ Martin, Bones Highland, BJ Boston, and Musa Diabete. How many, who do you think plays more minutes between KJ Martin and Bones Highland? That's a really good question. Really good question. I, I would say KJ Martin. I agree. But it's going to be really close. It's going to, that's a coin flip because you mentioned Robert Covington. Is he going to be part of the team? Because if he is, Mm. then I'm wondering how they're going to distribute 
yeah. the minutes between KJ, Nico, and Rocco. But Bones Highland seems to have that backup point guard spot like locked down. Like I don't see anybody coming in. When Westbrook goes to the bench, you get Bones in there. And there were even times like Tyloo really loves these these guard heavy lineups. There were times where we had Bones and Westbrook together, and it actually looked pretty good, surprisingly, because Bones is comfortable catching and shooting threes. And honestly, like he he's a contested shot maker too, and contested shot taker. So that obviously is not great for like efficiency purposes. But if he's getting more open shots, like the better it is. You know what I'm saying? Because he he really will knock them down. And there's a level of speed that we get having both of them on the floor. And the, both of them are the fastest guys in the team with the ball in their hands. And I like the probabilities or the possibilities of that if they're surrounded by some good defensive personnel. So that being said, man, I'm, I'm trying to convince myself maybe I was wrong in saying KJ Martin, but that's how close it is, is what I'm trying to say. I'm going to go with KJ, but because he, he's the only one of our players that really is an above-the-rim lob threat. Like Zubats and Terrence Mann and Kawhi and Paul can all catch lobs. Terrence Mann can kind of go up there, but KJ Martin can go to the stars. Like he, he's going to be one where Westbrook's going to be throwing it up there. So I think having that unique athleticism that we don't have, he'll play a little more. But it's a toss up. I I do think it's going to be KJ as well because while, while Bones might be the backup point guard, the problem you have though is that that Norman Powell and Terrence Mann are both coming in on that second unit as well. And I fear that those guys might get priority over him. And I'm not that worried about Covington. Ty Lu obviously has an issue with playing Covington. He barely played him last season. He'd go out there and have you know, five steals and five blocks in a game. And then he'd sit on the bench for the next four games while Marcus Morris plotted around yeah. and did nothing for 30 minutes a night. So I don't really think that there's going to be a reverse course there on Covington, but it's all going to come down to just Ty Lu like KJ Martin, because that's, that's what's going to, be the thing that decides that, but I, I think he's at a, a pretty good chance to take a, uh, a sizable role heading into next season. We heard a comment from I don't even know I don't even know where it came from. I saw it aggregate aggregated somewhere saying that Tyler Tyler had spoken to Paul George and Kawhi and said, "Hey guys, we need to take the regular season seriously." Whatever that means. Um, how what, what do you view of that comment that was floating around? What does it What does it mean? Is it implicating that they weren't taking it seriously in the past? That we're going to see, like, you know, you can't stop Paul George jumping for a rebound and having his knee bend backwards 90 degrees. Like, nothing, you can't do anything about that. Can't do anything about him pulling his hamstring. You can't do anything about Kawhi rolling his ankle. So what does that take it seriously mean? And is it is it something that, you know, they, they've got to go for this season? Yeah, so that comment was on all the smoke that Ty Lue made. Yep. And I... I'm actually, I think I'm like the perfect person to ask this to because I said it from the beginning on Locked On Clippers that the ser- we are lacking seriousness as an organization early in the season. Now I'm going to give you examples why. The beginning of the season, right? So first of all, Lawrence Frank made a comment after the season ended that I made all year long on the pod. And that was, it's not some genius comment. Only two teams, the 69 Celtics and the 95 Rockets, have won championships that were lower than a three seed. Every other team that's ever won has been a top three seed. So that implies that good regular seasons, like championship teams have good regular seasons, you know? So in Clipperland, even in the today's NBA with the load management league-wide and all that, where seeding because of that might be a little bit like murky. Like the Memphis Grizzlies haven't really been the second best team in the West the last two years, in my opinion. In the playoffs, they kind of show it. But I still believe that seeding matters. Look who just won the championship. Boston, I'm sorry, the Denver Nuggets. And they were number one seed. So in the first 10 games, we had an easy schedule, like easy. And I was thinking, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity 
to start the season like seven and three or eight and two, and we are rolling. And even with Kawhi out, we had plenty of good games that we could have taken advantage of. And the approach, the like there are some games where teams lose where you just weren't good enough, but there are other games where the effort is lacking. This, you know, and that's what I think seriousness refers to a lot is the effort, the focus. And you're and after the games, they keep downplaying all their losses. Like Tyloo kept saying, we're just still figuring it out. We're just still figuring it out. Like as if we made all these moves in the offseason. You added John Wall. That's not mm. that big of a move. Like, and especially in the games that Kawhi is out, like you guys have done this before. You did it all of last season. And Nicholas Batum saying, don't expect anything till Christmas. Kawhi Leonard saying, um, it's going to be a, he literally said, I don't care about the regular season one time. He said, it doesn't matter to me. I get it because you're going to perform in the playoffs. What about everyone else? Like, it was constant downplaying. I'll tell you another thing that's not serious. When we were playing the Orlando Magic one time uh, in Orlando, Paul George and Kawhi were like on a minutes restriction. They exceeded their minutes restriction, and then they cut it off in oh, overtime. That's right. We I, yeah, I remember and that. Then against yeah. Sacramento, the yeah. second highest scoring game in history, Paul George goes to the All-Star game in Salt Lake, and he comes back injured on a minutes restriction. I'm like, what is going on there? And then he plays 40 minutes, and then in double overtime he sits out. But then let's throw him into the last possession. Like, it, they're all over the place. Then the Kawhi Leonard thing, not telling Ty Lue. This, this is clearly – nobody's on the same page here. It's – it's it was a mess. So I think that's very relevant. And also, how about the Marcus Morris conversation we've had this whole podcast? Mm. I mean, how is that serious? When you the the metrics, the eye test, everything shows that Marcus Morris right now should not be playing over certain guys. But you have the personal tie to him, or whatever your decision is. It's not what's best for the Clippers as an organization to win games, and all the fans can see it. And so, yeah, that's that was not a serious regular season when the Clippers go. Hopefully he backs up his word and says, we're going for, you know, 50 plus wins. We're going for the highest seed we can get. And I do think sometimes we take the load management to the extreme. I'm fine with the back-to-backs with Kawhi missing. But as I said, like the minutes restriction stuff, all that, it was just a little much. And I know players, uh, it gets under their skin a little bit as well. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing. It's not. It's not the players. Always there is some player dictating in it, but it's not always the players that are making these decisions. And yeah. there are there is a lot of communication that is not working with this team, and, and that's pretty clear. So the next one I want to ask you about is Russell Westbrook and the Zubats Plumley center combination, because none of those guys can shoot. Ross did shoot better uh, in the regular season with his time I- I- with the Clippers in those twenty-one regular season games, and he shot okay uh, in the playoffs as well, thirty-six percent from three there. But to rely upon him being a, a good three-point shooter is tough. We also saw at times when guys were healthy that they would limit Russ or play him like 27, 28 minutes. But that problem with the two non-shooters, which Zubats and Plumlee clearly are, Westbrook at times can be a willing shooter to his detriment. That can cause some problems with the, the lineup. So how can you envisage this happening? In the past, the Clippers have run tons of small lineups with Morris or Covington or Batum playing that small ball shooting center. Would that be something they lean more into? Or now that they have two established real rotation NBA centers, that it's they're going to have to figure out a way to make this work otherwise? They're gonna, I think Zubats and Plumlee will play every game. Um, but I do think there may be some small ball lineups in there if we're really getting cooked in the pick and roll. And I think that's when... Tyloo will go smaller, no bigs. I think that'll still happen sometimes. Um, as far as Westbrook, I'm not too concerned. Do I think he's going to shoot 36% from three next season? Not really. But I think he can shoot 31 or 32%. And as long as he's not falling – like, I don't need high volume. I, you know what I'm saying? I don't want more than two 
three-point attempts per night. I say zero, but you know what? Since he shot 36%, I can give him two. And here's the thing. You know, some people will say to keep the defense honest, but no one's going to close out super hard if they know what they're doing, right? He needs to shoot well for three years before anyone starts closing out on him. Right. So I think Westbrook, if he can still just, now that he catches the ball when he's open, attack with a running start, that could still attract a secondary defender. And then we have spacing. He can make a decision. And we saw a little bit of that. We also saw him when teams would sag off, him go to the little short corner and fly in for offensive rebounds. I thought that was spectacular to see that. Like, so he, he and being a screener, I love Westbrook as a screener because um, on the roll, he can make a quick decision and he can go up strong. So I think Ty Lue did a great job of being a little creative with that. So I'm not concerned about like the spacing and all that. I think our offense was really good when we got Westbrook. Um, and I do still think you'll see small ball uh, to help Westbrook out. And because we're getting cooked in the pick and roll, try to switch everything, bother uh, the opposing team uh, defensively in that sense. What do you see? Look, this hasn't been one yet. It can be one soon. Extensions for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And if there isn't an extension, is that a problem? Yes, in my opinion, because they haven't shown they can stay healthy. Uh, why would I invest such so much money in these guys that have not shown they can stay healthy? Because that's going to be a risk if you want to trade them anyway. Let's say you do want to go a different direction. Teams might be hesitant to take on guys that are getting paid $45 million, whatever their, their extension would be. I would assume with these new contracts, upwards of $40 million per year. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, and, like, I don't know if teams would want to inv- invest that much money in these guys, especially with how capped you are now with the new CBA and all that, I, I, I'm not about the extension talk at all. I'm very frightened of that. And that's, again, no disrespect to Kawhi and Paul George. We've given them huge contracts, and they haven't lived up to that because of their lack of health. So, And then uh, oh, going back to the seriousness conversation, Paul George, there will be games where Kawhi doesn't play, and he won't even shoot 20 times. He'll shoot like 12 times. He'll keep shooting jumpers, no free throw attempts. Like, he can be very unserious, Paul George. And I, I think he's an ex- exceptional player. But, like, part of the reason why you think with Paul George, he has everything in his bag, right? Why isn't he better than he is? With He's a great shooter from three levels. Amazing handle for his size. Good defender. What is it? The mental game. Like, the confidence. It's so wavering. And he makes very questionable decisions. And he'll very often fall in love with threes. And that can be very inconsistent when you're shooting so many jump shots, not getting enough easy baskets. And he has no excuse not to be getting that many easy baskets. He's not super slow or anything. He's 6'9 with bounce. Like, <laughs> he's an he's a very frustrating one to watch every night. But when it's good, oh, man, there's not many prettier players in the league to watch play basketball. No, that's true. He can absolutely get rolling and put up your top 10 sort of numbers, really, when, when he gets going. But there are frustrations with him and, and availabilities and all that sort of stuff that you just mentioned. Who is a breakout candidate on this team? Well, I don't know if I could call Terrence Mann a breakout guy, but if he gets more minutes, I think you can really see his value elevated. Um, but will he? But, like, they just seem so adverse to doing it. And his name keeps getting... We haven't even addressed this yet. His name keeps getting brought up in the James Harden deal. Like, A, do you expect that Harden deal to happen? And it's almost definitely going to have to include Terrence Mann, isn't it? I don't like that conversation at all. <laughs> Make me really, really scared. Um, I, I mean, it all depends on how badly the Clippers want to get this guy. I think if they start the season really well, I think they may be like, you know what? Let's not disturb the peace. But if they don't believe in their team as it's constructed, then, yeah, it's going to happen. And I really I, – you said Terrence Mann, and I, I know that that's part of the reason why the deal hasn't happened, and I'm really happy that's the case. But it's like 
that's what makes that conversation so much more frustrating that, okay, you don't want to trade Terrence Mann for James Harden, then why don't you treat Terrence Mann like our premier role player, do it everything kind of guy by treating him properly with the minutes distribution? That's the thing. Cause I think the front office values him a lot more than Ty. That's, that's what I, that's what mm. I think. That's what I see to know from everything I've been told and seen last season. So I, I'm fine. I won't go with Terrence Mann because I still don't know, but then I don't know who else it could be. Like Bones Highland, I would love to see him take a leap. Love to see him, you know, maybe be a little stronger, show more defensive uh, effort consistently. Because I saw in the playoffs, he wasn't as bad a defender as everybody advertised him to be. He had good hands. So, like, for anyone that's in a categories league or something, like, he might get some steals. But I wouldn't pick up Bones Highland in fantasy, quite frankly. But Bones... Yeah. He, he has good hands and he has long arms getting in the passing lane. So I saw some potential there defensively. So I'd hope to say Bones. If I had to choose someone that I would want to be the breakout player, it would be Brandon Boston. I just don't know if the minutes are going to be there for him. But I would love if he actually like showed people that he can play rotation minutes, that he has to play rotation minutes kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really like Boston. I, I don't see how a path happens unless there's just everyone's hurt or a trade happens. I, I think he is a rotation player at some point, but like you, I don't see where that path is this season. So just quickly on the Harden stuff, like I, I don't know whether it's going to happen in the off season or during this, whatever happens, but surely if he does come across in a trade, I, I can't see what utility Russell Westbrook has playing anywhere above like 20 minutes a night on this team because Westbrook his value is having the ball in his hands and distributing and setting it up. And James Harden is literally the league in assists and is one of the best passers in the NBA and over the last 10, 15 years. And the ball is in his hands. Quite frankly, it should be all the time. So where, where would that leave Westbrook? That's exactly why I think it does not make sense because we brought Westbrook in to be that guy. Mm. So now what are you doing? Like people, are, people are like, Westbrook's gonna have to suck it up. Isn't that the whole reason we brought him in, though, is for him to be comfortable and re-sign him for that? Like, there's a human element to this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. easy for you to say, sitting at home, like, what about the conversations that need to be had between people and West Westbrook has to go to the bench now, which he clearly didn't like with the Lakers? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Westbrook and Harden worked out well in Houston together, but that's when they didn't have two better players that them, than them that they have to give the ball to. Yeah. And they ran – they just took turns running pick and roll basically. And they went so all in to accommodate the both of them that they traded away their only center and got bullied by the Lakers in the bubble. So that was just weird. I, I'm not a guy that's saying that Westbrook and Harden won't be, can't be decent together, but Westbrook and Harden with two better players than them, mm. as you said, those two guys need the ball in their hands as well. Not as much as those guys. Cause they're not necessarily like guys that are going to run pick a ton of pick and rolls, but they can. And we want the ball in Kawhi Leonard's hands more than anybody. So it doesn't make sense to have Harden and Westbrook together with these two guys. It makes no sense to me at all. I agree. And that's why I'm very against it. So it, what they end up doing with that, I've got no idea. And how that works, it's going to be a huge change to how this team looks if they do end up doing it. What about a regression candidate? I, I'm, yeah, like, yeah, Marcus Morris is the clear one, but that's already happened. The regression's there. Anyone else you see taking a step backwards? I'm a little worried about if it's a Zubats, who's only 26, but when Mason Plumley arrived, we saw... Some of the minutes come down, and it didn't move to a true minute split, but it got a little bit closer to it. Um, I'm not worried about Zoo. I think, honestly, I, I'm actually hoping, since Baron Boston wasn't necessarily a realistic breakout candidate, I'm actually hoping it could be Zoo, even though we know who he is. But I'm saying this. There's a lot of times 
where I think Ivica Zubats can get the ball down low. He's got a nice right-handed jump hook, especially if he's against smaller guys. I, I don't know what the percentage is on his shot there, but it's pretty good. And it gets us a bucket around the rim. And I think we really undervalue Zoo as a guy that we can throw the ball to sometimes one-on-one. And that comes from the coaching staff to me. Because even though I'm not big on – like I still think NBA players have the most freedom like of any level of basketball for the most part. Um, I see Ty Lue's play calling a lot. And towards the second half of the season, he was calling out a lot more plays on the fly as opposed to kind of, you know, in the past, he kind of lets them play with a little more freedom. But Zoo Westbrook is the only one that seems to look for Zoo inside consistently. The, the rest of them look him off, and it's very frustrating to me. And he gets frustrated. You can see his body language. So I'm not – I don't think he's going to have a drop-off because I don't think it could get any worse in that aspect of not giving him the ball. The guy I think can have a drop-off, like major – and you started to see it a little bit last season, but I think there's a chance that this is Nicholas Batum's last season in the NBA. Okay. Um, I think that he was so inconsistent shooting the ball last season, and he just didn't seem – he just seemed a step slower um, than 2022. And I think just one more year, he plays a lot. I mean, he's, he's pretty healthy more often than not. And I just think he might be done after this year. But I'm hoping, obviously, nobody has a, a big regression. But if I had to choose, I'd say Nico – um, or maybe Mason Plumley, um, yeah, especially yeah. defensively. But I think he still will give you what we need as a backup. As a backup, he's fine. Like he's overtasked as a center, but he did have some steps forward in that area last season. What about uh, most likely player to be traded? Marcus Morris, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah no I doubt. I don't really think there's any other any other answer there. So before we get into playing a little bit of a game, let's do some win total stuff. FanDuel has them at 46 and a half. Last year they were 44 and 38 with a really bad net rating, negative 0.3, which is 21st in the NBA. So that record belies their net rating. But of course, there's a lot of situations here. They were playing John Wall at the start of the year. Kawhi and Paul George are injured all season, which is, again, something that could happen here. 46 and a half, they got it at. And we both went with the same record in our projections, 48 and 34, which I think is totally reasonable, Darren, because this team should be better than this. They, they should be approaching 50 wins. Should be getting more than fifty wins. I just yeah. said that because I'm afraid of the injuries. <laughs> yeah, but which is fair that's enough. the same. That's the same record as the. Tw- I, I think the West is better this season, but yep. that's the same record as the 2019 Clippers, who started Patrick Beverly, SGA, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and Zoo, and Lou Williams was our best player. Yep. And but that team, you know, they they had a lot of fight every single night. They showed up to play, and I think that's when, when it goes back to that seriousness conversation. We see this team play with you know, only have maybe one, two, or three of those duds where you don't really try, you know, like compared to other teams. Cause I get it. Like it's a long NBA season. Even, even in the past, you'll have a couple duds, but we had too many duds. We had more. I'll give you a fun fact. I don't have the number up top of my head, but it's a fun fact for anyone that wants to know more about the Clippers last season, how bad it was. We had more games where we waved the white flag with five minutes left, three minutes left. than we put in our bench warmers because we were winning by so much. And with a team with this expectation, that should never be the case. Yeah, and that's that's why that net rating is so bad because it was just games where they just gave up and the the score would blow out and their record is very different to, to that um, that net rating there. So let's let's play a game. Let's do uh, some grid work and I've got the wrong title on that graphic, but that is okay. Sometimes I make a mistake. All right, so we're looking for players with the Clippers here, with the Lakers, the Thunder, the Bulls, the Spurs, and the Pistons. And I also want you to get a Clippers player who had a hundred blocks in a season while playing for the Clippers. Now, in terms of everyone who's watched my show would understand what I'm going to say, but I'm going to explain it to you now in terms of rarity scores. You're not competing against thousands of people doing this, but the way to get a good score on this is that we look at the games played for either squad, the Clippers and the Lakers. So whatever they've played there, 
take the smallest number. So they might have played 10 for the Lakers and 100 for the Clippers. So that counts as a 10. And then all of the players there, I scale that lowest games played and give you a percentage number out of that. And so we're always looking for the guys who's played the fewest games. And it could be, you might've played one for the Lakers or one for the Clippers, whatever it is. Do you want the player who's appeared in the fewest games played? And when you get to the 100 block season, it's the player who played in the fewest career games for the Clippers. And we're, in, we're counting all the way back to um, San Diego and Buffalo as part of the franchise as well. So pick a player that's played for the Clippers and Lakers, but preferably one that's played for them as little as possible? Yep, you want to go for either played small amounts of games for the Clippers or small amounts of games for the Lakers. And okay. you want to go the smallest as possible. I'm going to go with Jordan Farmer. Jordan Farmer is a correct answer and he well, he barely I thought he played way more than that for the Clippers but he did not he played only 36 games for the Clippers and that's a pretty good score that gives you an 11.25 on that one I thought he would have played a lot more for the Clippers interesting all right Jordan Farmer gets us on the board straight away where do you want to go next another Clipper Laker no no we'll go to one of the other squares Thunder Bulls Spurs or Pistons Clippers and Spurs. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson. Okay, let's have a look at that. Steven Jackson, Clippers, Spurs. Where's Steven Jackson? Where is he on my list? Oh, that is... Wow, that is great because we all know yeah. that he... We all know he played for the Spurs a lot, but he barely played for the Clippers. He played nine games for the Clippers. Right. So that, that gives you a 4.49 score. Off to an absolute flying start here, Darren. Which one well, are we going to next? Um, let's go to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. Uh, let's go with Danilo Gallinari. Danilo Gallinari. That is not bad. He played under 100 games for both teams. He ended up with the lowest number he had. There was 62 for the Thunder. That gives you a 20.07. So pretty strong number there as well. All right. Which one now? Hmm. Clippers and Detroit. Okay. We've had a lot of Clipper Detroit crossover lately. There, yes, there's been a lot. But they've played a decent chunk of games, but I'm going to go with Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley for Clippers Detroit. All right, I forgot that he played for Detroit. That is a good one, I think. Yeah, we barely played for the Clippers as well. That gives you it's an 18.47 because he played 55 for the Clippers and 40 for the Detroit Pistons. So pretty good number on that one. Um, all right, so we're going to do the Bulls now, or do you want the 100-block season? Just for that Clippers, yeah, there has been so many Clippers-Pistons crossovers, which you don't see that often in cross-conference trades, but I've noticed when I've been going through all of this. But that, that was an interesting... I'm looking at who had the lowest score here. Some bloke by the name of Todd Murphy played one game for the Clippers. I don't know who that is. But yeah, he had the lowest yeah. score there. Oh, James Ennis was a Clippers... Played two games for the Clippers and 27 for the Pistons. That would have been a good one. All right, Bulls or the 100-block season? 100-block uh, season, I feel like I can get fairly easily. So you, you'll get an answer fairly easy, but you want to find the player who had 100 blocks in a season but also played the fewest career games for the Clippers to get a good score oh. on that. Marcus Camby? That is a pretty good guess. That is He, he did have 100 blocks in a season. And he only played 113 games for the Clippers. So that gives you a score of 10.41 on that one. The best answer for that one was someone by the name of George Johnson, who only 
had what, 100 blocks in 39 games. What is that? That's a crazy number. Um, and then it was Kermit Washington, and then it was Camby as the third lowest games played. So good on that one. All right, let's finish it off with the Bulls. Well, there's one obvious one, Clipper Bulls crossover that comes to mind, but he's played too many games. Um, um, hmm, Clippers and Bulls. Uh, I can't think of an obscure one really on this one, so I guess I'm just going to go with um, – no, he didn't. I don't remember. Jamal Crawford played for the Bulls, right? Yeah, he did. He did, yep. Yeah, I guess I'm going to go – I'm going to go with – I'll go with Jamal. Jamal Crawford is is correct, obviously, but he did play yeah. actually quite a bit for both teams. Yeah. He played 244 games for the Bulls. That gives you a score of 80.2 for that one. Overall, a pretty good score. The best score for the Bulls-Clippers one was someone by the name of Mario Bennett, who I have no idea who that is. Um, I was obviously thinking Elton Brand, but he he played way too many games for us. He did as well. He only he played 155 for Chicago, but what would have been a good one is the sexy boy, Sean Kilpatrick, who played four games for the Clippers and nine for the Bulls. I do not remember either. Or how about we're jo- joking? Ron, Ron Harper. Ron Harper played the most, 300 plus for yeah, both teams. Okay. Yeah, Joakim jo- 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 Noah, five games for the Clippers. Oh my God. I totally <laughs> forgot we had Noah in the bubble. Oh my goodness. That would have been it. That, that's that would have been yeah. it. That's I, I have no memory of him playing. Like, Jacob Noah, I think he played like four games for the Grizzlies as well at one point, or 10 games or something. His career was yeah. very, very weird. Um, all right, and that will that wraps it up for us. Darian, tell us what you've got cracking over at Locked On Clippers at the moment. Locked On Clippers back this week. I just got my computer fixed, so I've been a little bit dormant, sadly. But back three days a week for this rest of the month, and then all season long, five days a week. You already know how it is. Locked On Clippers to see... What's going on? Uh, there's going to definitely be some some noise this season. There always is with the Clippers and with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard uh, will be in the headlines. So you want an authentic perspective from a fan and someone who watches every game? Locked on Clippers. And you can also see Darian melt down once they trade for James Harden. So that's going to be an added bonus. Check it out over at Locked on Clippers. Thank you, Darian, for coming on and chatting with me on Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.